0: Shalom. Let's turn in our scriptures to Hebrews, the book of Ivrim, Hebrews and chapter 10 and jump right in there this Shabbat. What we're going to be finding um, this week is that we take this break in the narrative from the first part of the book of Hebrews. So chapter 1 through chapter 10 is where we really dealt with the main theological issues. And now, as we enter into this second part of the book, we're going to be looking at more of a practical application and the superiority of the son and how he is walked out in the believer's life. Now, remember, our author has already shown us the superiority of, in the preceding chapters of the Son, over the three main pillars of Judaism. and You remember the three main pillars of Judaism that the Son demonstrates superiority over is angels, Moshe, and the Levitical priesthood. That's already been demonstrated in the previous chapters. But today, I'm only going to visit about eight verses in chapter 10, and then I want to branch off on the backdrop of the Holy of Holies, the Hebrew, Kedosh Ha Kedoshim, and I want to look at the Enochian view of the transfiguration and the corrupted priestly class, because these were in full view to our audience. And next week, we'll go actually in depth into the verses of chapter 10. But today, like I said, I just want to go into the first eight verses and then drop into three main areas. Number one, the backdrop two, the Holy of Holies, how it was understood to our first century audience, because we don't have a clue today. Many of us grew up in the institutionalized church, and we would sing this song. We enter into the holy of holies. We enter by the blood of the Lamb. Do you like that? Who's ever sung that? Am I the only one? Okay. But there's a slight problem with that. Are you the high priest? So we don't get to enter into the Holy of Holies. He's the high priest. We get to go because the outer veil was the veil that was ripped, not the inner veil, so that the... You and I can now come from the core of the nations, the court of the Gentiles, and we can now enter into the holy place. And now we have direct access to the Kohen Haggadah, the high priest, the high priest, and he's the one who enters into the holy of holies. Because if I can enter into the holy of holies, I don't need Yeshua. You see how, so we don't understand. We sing these songs, but we don't understand what we're actually saying. Because we've grown up in this Greco-Roman institutionalized religion. Some of you have, not all of you. So I do want to spend that time going into the backdrop of what the Holy of Holies, the Kedosh HaKedoshim meant and was the expectation of our first century audience. I want to look at the Enochian view of the transfiguration and the corrupted priestly class. Why do I want to do that? It's been a very sad week for me. In my years as a minister, as a pastor, a rabbi, whatever you want to call me, I've seen too many people die. I've gone to too many funerals. I've stood at too many deathbeds. And this week, my wife's brother died two days ago. He was 36 years old. I've done a funeral for like a six-year-old kid before. And I just get sad. And when I was in this week's message, preparing it for chapter 10, I was like... What is the hope that is in me? What is the hope that is in me? The hope, of course, for my brother-in-law is that he got to get paid a denarius even though he came in at the 11th hour. That's my hope. Yes, he stood idle for most of the day and struggled with addiction like myself and many of you have. My hope is that he did get paid the same wage even though he came in at the 11th hour. That's a hope that many people don't have and they don't understand. My hope isn't in animal sacrifices. My hope is in understanding the Holy of Holies. And my hope is in the transfiguration. Because I truly anticipate that one day, it will be frightening, but you'll look down on your flesh and you will literally see your flesh breaking up and disintegrating as light comes through. Because originally we were created with garments of light. And then it was later that we were given garments of skin. And ultimately the transfiguration takes us back to perfection where we will be cloaked in garments of light. And I fully anticipate, and it'll be scary, won't it, to see your flesh disintegrating because you're attached to your flesh. But our hope, what is the hope that is in you when somebody close to you dies or you're standing at a deathbed of somebody or you have to do a funeral for a six-year-old? What is the hope that is in you? Is it the animal sacrifices? Is it in the New World Order Levitical Temple that they're trying to construct? Or is it in really what the Holy of Holies, the Kedosh HaKedoshim, was all supposed to represent to the people? And is it truly the transfiguration? I know for me, after my week, It's a transfiguration and the hope of what the Holy of Holies was supposed to represent. So that's why I want to spend just a few verses and then delve into that. So please, please let me do that. Let's go into verse 1 of chapter 10. For the Torah, having only a shadow of tov, good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Did you catch that? For the Torah having only a shadow of good things to come. Who has that translation? Give me a show of hands, only a few of you. Only is totally unjustified by the translators. As if the only thing, the only thing that the law could do was to be a shadow. That's all it could do. It could never instruct you in holy living. It could never instruct you in how to live a better life. That translation is a willful attempt to denigrate the whole of the law. And it has no purpose and there is no justification for it being inserted in there by the translators. It should read, for the Torah having a shadow of good things to come. So hopefully, if it is in your scriptures, it's italicized to show that it was inserted. If it's not um, italicized, then you might want to just put a pencil mark through it and make a note that that's an unjustified translation to denigrate the whole of the law, that the law has no purpose in your life. And we know that that simply is not true. So what we do is we read past this first verse now, we can see that the Torah doesn't have the, in the Greek, the Greek word here is echon, the very form, the echon, the very form of what it describes, meaning the tabernacle, the Levitical priesthood, and the sacrificial system. They had a limited earthly view of a much fuller heavenly substance. So they had this limited earthly view of a much fuller, heavenly substance and that limited earthly view that they were seeing had even become corrupted more and more over the centuries so that they had very little grasp of the heavenly substance and it's the heavenly substance brethren that will aid you and I to get through tragedy when I stand next to my brother-in-law and see his life slipping away. It's not this earthly view that enables me to endure. But it is the heavenly substance that is, bears witness to my soul. Does that make sense? It's the heavenly substance that is the hope and expectation in me that I can continue in this life and continue to persevere. And you also. So for the Torah, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make those who draw near perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered Because then the worshippers, once cleansed, should have had no more awareness of their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a yearly reminder of sins. Meaning the sacrificial rites were what? They were a band-aid to the relationship. The sacrificial rites, they were a band-aid to the relationship. They could never heal and they could never restore the relationship, let alone improve the relationship, could they? Think about it. After the sin of the golden calf, the book of the law was the band-aid that was wrapped around the carnal flesh. It could never restore or regrow the limb, and it could never improve the relationship. It was literally a band-aid for a time and that time was until the time of Reformation when the Moshiach would come and regrow the limb as the master physician. So now, as we look through this, we can see that the writer of the book of Hebrews, he understood that the high priest had attained the Zedek through resurrection. Yehusha he attained the Zedek position Through the resurrection. In Hebrews 7 verse 15 it is written, And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises, there arises another priest. Arises is the Greek word, Anisete, the Greek word anasete, and it's the same word that's used for resurrection. It means to raise up from the dead. To raise up from the dead. You see, the Melchizedek was resurrected to an eternal priesthood, which he held by the power of an indestructible life. And that's the hope that is in me. And that should be the hope that is in you. The power over an indestructible life. I quite honestly, I don't get it. I don't understand how people can live in this world without the hope of an indestructible life. That is why this world is so full of busyness and gadgetry. Because it's a distraction. Because Yahuwah isn't in the distractions. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. Turn it all off. Shut it all down. Go into a small dark room. And that's when people become terrified with the silence of their own thoughts of depravity. Because where is Yahuwah? He's in the still small voice. And that's why we live in such a web of distraction with all of these radio waves, Wi-Fi waves, all bouncing around us to distract us. And that's what you were just saying in the worship, to distract us from hearing the still small voice because our hope is, is that we will have what? An indestructible life. So though our flesh may rot and be robbed, we know that we can look forward to the transfiguration. That's the hope that is within us. And people that don't have that, I don't understand how they exist. I truly don't. How do they get by in this world? So Melchizedek was resurrected to the eternal priesthood, which was held by the power of, of an indestructible life. The high priest, he had been the son of Elohim long before the first century believers even used that term. You see, the Zedek was expected to appear exactly when Yahushua began his public ministry. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they prove this. The description of the role of the Zedek is exactly how Yahushua is betrayed in the book of Hebrews. And the key to the first century faith and the first century lifestyle is that the zedek temple was the world of the first century believing community. It wasn't the temple that was up on the hill. They understood that the substance in heaven, the shamayim, needed to connect to them. And it was like an umbilical cord connecting heaven to earth. And that is what should give us the hope, the connection, not to some temple mount, supposedly, but the connection to what is actually happening as the sovereign master sits down at the right hand of the father. Look at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 10. For it is impossible that the darm, the blood of bulls and goats, can take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the Olam Chazer, this world, he says, and now the author quotes Psalm 40, verse 6. I want to read it to you. He quotes it from the Septuagint. Not the Masoretic corrupted text, but from the Septuagint. And he says, Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering... You did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. Then said I, behold, behold, I come in the volume of the scroll. It is written of me to do your will, O Yahuwah. Now, there's a distinction between this translation, which is the correct translation, the Septuagint, and the Masoretic corruption in the Masoretic text. Because the Masoretic text right here, it has the anti-Mashiach or the Mashiach Neged, the anti-Messiah edit. And it reads in Psalm 40 verse 6 from the Masoretic text, Neither feast offering nor meal offering did you desire, But you opened your ears for me? But you opened your ears for me? Does that even make sense? Does it make sense to you? It makes sense to a bunch of unregenerate rabbinical rabbis and the Levitical hierarchy, apparently. Really? Neither feast offering nor meal offering did you desire, but you opened your ears for me? Are you serious? You're going to try and slide this by? This has been slid by since 900 of the common era. It's desperate. It truly is desperate. It's a desperate edit to hide who the Mashiach is. It's a desperate edit by the rabbis to hide what that he prepared a body for the Mashiach so that we could have a hope and an expectation of transfiguration and resurrection but you want to hang your faith on what somebody's ears for crying out loud it's amazing where do they even get that translation from? The Hebrew word is Oznaim. Oznaim karita, meaning to hollow out. To hollow out or to dig out. You know, like what some of you do when you get Q-tips? Or candle wax, ear cleaners? To hollow and dig out. So they decide, well, well this is, we're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. I am, you know, hollow and dig out, open up your ears. Open them up. But the two major versions of the Septuagint, LXA and LXXB, which were used in the first century, have it translated correctly, but a body, a body you have prepared for me. Which in context is exactly what he's talking about, isn't it? But there are so many rabbinicals out there that don't even understand the proper translation. This is one of those Masoretic edits to be careful of. Verse 8, it says, In the above quotes, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and the offering for sin you did not desire. Neither do you have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the Torah. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O Yahuwah. He abolishes, the Greek word there is enero. He abolishes the first, and it's speaking of the sacrificial system, that he may establish the second, the perfect sacrifice. So he abolishes the first sacrificial system so that he may establish the perfect sacrifice. This isn't talking about abolishing the law of Moses. This isn't about abolishing a covenant. So you have to look at the whole context and cleaning your ears out with a Q-tip is not going to be in the context of what we're talking about, rabbinicals, but it is about the body that he has prepared beforehand. Does that make sense so far? Now, the verb ananero, it means to get rid of, to abolish, but particularly to get rid of by execution. To abolish by execution. To do away with, to destroy. It means to get rid of someone by execution with illegal or quasi-legal procedures. And that's from the Greek-English lexicon. So, Yahuwah killed the continued viability of the first order of sacrifices by Yahusha's death. So, the second order of the Zedek sacrifice can stand. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Yahuwah killed the continued viability of the first order of sacrifice by Yahushua's death, so that the second order of the Zedek sacrifice could stand. And verse 9 speaks of the Levitical service and sacrifices in contrast to the Zedek service and sacrifice. And realize, by citing all of these Old Testament texts, our author is demonstrating that it's been prophesied in Scripture that Yahweh would accord a higher status to the flesh of heaven as the instrument of what? Redemption. It's not the flesh of animals trotting around on the earth, but there is a higher status to the flesh of heaven that is going to be attributed to you and my life. And that's what he's trying to communicate. And there's a bunch of scripture that communicates this and parallels verse 8. I'll give you some scriptures right now and read to you. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. First um, Samuel chapter fifteen verse twenty-two. Let me read a few of these. For I desired rachamin, I desired mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings. Isaiah one eleven. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says Yahuwah. I am full of the burnt offerings. Of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not, I delight not in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And Shemuel said, Has Yahweh as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? See, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hear than the fat of ram. So we need to obey, but we need to hear. We need to have that blood-tipped ear. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And the institutional church is caught up in rebellion, witchcraft, and idolatry. And that's what you see. It's terrifying. It's terrifying that we are the generation that gets to witness our brothers and sisters literally being fleeced by the shepherds, the full shepherds, and going off as lambs to the slaughter. It's terrifying. But you start talking to them about obedience and commandments, and you are what? You're a bunch of legalists. No, legalism is when you make your opinion my burden. Keeping the commandments, that's that's obedience, which is better than your sacrifice. You see, so if you can change the definitions, then you can control the conversation. And that's what they do. Grace and mercy... Well, we've already established what grace and mercy is in past teachings. But you see, these definitions are changed, and then you control the conversation. Likewise, when the victors write history, then again, they control the conversation. But when you start to look into what really happened in the past, then you'll be the ones that won't make the same mistakes in the future while all the lemmings go off to the FEMA camps. Because they don't understand history and that it's happened before and it will happen again. Psalm 51 verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. And Jeremiah 11 verse 15. Them in the time that they cry to me in their trouble... What has my beloved to do in my bait house? Brother Steve, would you be able to ask um, them to maybe go out into the foyer? That would be fabulous. Thank you. Seeing she has worked lewdness in many ways, and does your holy flesh remove you from doing evil? When you do, do evil, then you rejoice. I want to read a couple of scriptures that are really quite shocking if you just meditate on it. Stephen quotes Acts, um, Amos chapter five verse 21, in Acts chapter seven. I'll read them both for you, and then I'll make a comment. And we'll offend a few people, but it is what it is. Amos chapter five, verse 21, "Make sure that I'm not making it up. Turn there yourselves. Amos chapter 5 verse 21, we'll be looking at that through the 27th verse. The purpose of this is the author is trying to get it through to their thick skulls that the sacrifice of the Melchizedek is superior to what is going on with the bloods of bulls and goats and the Levitical hierarchy. Can we understand that? That is so important. Why is it even important to you and I 2,000 years later? People aren't sacrificing animals. Why are you getting so concerned about this, Matthew? Because the Bolsheviks, the New World Order, are planning through Rabbi Richman and the Temple Institute to build a temple up on the Anatonian fortress that they think is the Temple Mount. It's not. It's the Roman Anatonian fortress where 10,000 Romans did despicable acts with one another that everybody prays and worships to where there is the Alaska Mosque and the whole New World Order Bolshevik funded state is going towards building that temple. And there are a bunch of noodles in the Messianic movement, and I did just say that, wet noodles that are following after people that say that they are Aaronic and Levitical, and they can't prove it. They're about as much as an ironic as I am a blooming Viking. I mean, give me a break. And people are so silly, they're following after this Levitical hierarchy, and ultimately... They will go and think that they are worshipping Yahuwah when ultimately they are the slaves of the Bolsheviks and the Zionist conspiracy. So, yes, it's important that we address this stuff because we have an altar outside the gates, which they have no right to eat from. And this is the generation that I believe that will witness that debacle. They'll bring the Pope in, the Jesuits, and the Bolsheviks, all funded by Wall Street bankers. And before you know it, you will have Messianics and Christian Zionists misguided, trotting up there to support that deception. And that is what the Apostle Paul talks about to the Thessalonians to beware of. And there are people that are literally that misguided because they are focused on the earthly carnal realm that our author is trying to get their eyes on the heavenly realm. Because when somebody is lying in a hospital bed dying before you that you love, it's not going to be the hope in a lamb from the farm that's going to help you and give you the hope. It's going to be the hope of the Lamb that sits at the right hand of the Father ministering for you today. So that you can have that umbilical cord connection from your present situation, which would be hopelessness, to a situation of hope, inspiration, and encouragement because you have the connection. And the hope that is in you is a transfiguration and a resurrection hope. Let's be real. That is what's going to help you through the tribulation, not a sharp knife and a bunch of fluff. So I am very passionate about this because from history, what they failed to do 70 years ago, they are now working on fulfilling today in Europe, in Germany. What they failed to do 70 years ago they are now working on that plan and bringing it into fruition and just like 4 years ago none of you had heard what who you none of you had heard about isis right didn't exist because we were we weren't fighting isis 4 years ago who were we fighting al yeah the cia al qaeda but now we don't hear about al qaeda Because people were starting to get smart after the Libyan debacle, especially if those emails get released. So let's get rid of the name Al-Qaeda. Let's rebrand it to ISIS. And now people, because they're stupid, they won't make the connections. Who hears about Bolshevism today and the Bolsheviks? No. Well, let's rebrand it and call it the State of Israel, and people won't make the connections. I met a history buff this week, and I said, what's your speciality? Well, he's history. I said, well, yeah, history's huge. I mean, what's your speciality? Oh, my speciality is the Second World War. Fabulous. Tell me, how did the Second World War get started? And he just starts going off on all this college liberal junk. And I'm just like, really? I said, have you ever heard of the Bolsheviks? He's like, the what? The Bolsheviks. I said unless you understand the Bolshevik revolution and the Bolsheviks you have no idea about anything of the second world war because that's why the second world war started and again you can't expect to be told the truth in these liberal universities because the professors that do tell the truth they lose their tenure and they're out they're out So I said, you might want to do this. If they tell you Winston Churchill was a good man in your college, then you might want to just think that he's an evil man and then try and prove that he's good. And he's looking at me like, you're crazy. And I said, no. I said, tell me, out of all of the leaders in the Second World War, who was democratically elected? He's just looking at me like, well, this guy's getting serious. Was Stalin democratically elected? No. So that means he was a dictator. Was Roosevelt democratically elected? No. So that means he was a dictator. Was Winston Churchill democratically elected? No. No. So the allies were dictators. There was one that was democratically elected, but we don't want to mention him because then you're out. You're done. You see, this is the crazy world that we live in. We live in a political, financial, religious whirlpool. And when you start talking about the true faith, the true currency and the true system of theocratic government you 're done, and there are so many ministers that are afraid financially, but as I said last night, I believe it financial isn 't the biggest motivator for their fear, their biggest motivator. Is they are afraid of losing their position. And losing their reputation. So they won't. Because ministers have this idea that the ministry is an entity that needs to be protected. I've got to protect the ministry. I, can't, I know what you're saying is the truth. But if I say it, it could damage the ministry. Like the ministry is this entity. So Torah to the tribes is registered with the state. Yes, it is an entity that way, but the ministry is you guys. Is you guys. It's the people. Yahweh protects the people. You don't have to protect the entity. You just pay the 150 bucks for the entity once a year and you file your papers. It'll take care of itself. You see, it's this fear that when you start to speak truth that you will lose position and you will lose the audience. So they scale it back to protect the ministry. And that's what you're seeing more and more and more. People know the truth. They know the truth, but they can't afford in their mind to tell it. They're slaves, slaves, not free at all. So let's talk about not protecting the ministry. Let's go to Amos 5.21. I hate, I despise your Moedim. I despise your feasts, says Yahweh. I am not pleased with your Mikra Kadeshim your holy convocations. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard, regard the shalom offerings of your fattened beasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let mishpatim, let judgment run down as Mayim, as water, and Zadokar as righteousness, as a mighty stream. Have you offered me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years? O Bet Israel, O house of Israel. But you have borne the tabernacle of your Molech and Cheyun or Rapham your idols, and the kokav, the stars of your Elohim, which you made as an idol for yourselves. Therefore, will I cease you to go into the exile beyond Damascus, says Yahuwah, whose name is Elohim Zevoth. Now, if you turn to Acts chapter 7 verse 41... Zephaniah Stephen is giving his address and he's telling you about everything that happened with Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness. The context is Israel is wandering through the wilderness. So let's not rip this out of context. And they made a calf in those days. When was that? Was that in the wilderness? Okay, just making sure that you're tracking with me. I don't want to pull anything out of context. And they made a calf in those days, the days when they were wandering in the wilderness. And they offered sacrifice to the idol and they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then Eloah turned and gave them up to worship of the stars of the heavens as it is written in the scroll of the prophets. O you people of Israel, and now, of course, he's quoting the prophets, what I just read to you, Amos 5.21. O you people of Israel, why have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifice during 40 years in the wilderness? During 40 years in the wilderness, Yahuwah is asking them, what are you up to offering me animal sacrifices? And now you're going to find out why. But the rabbis aren't going to teach you this because they've got to protect their position. And the messianic hierarchy, they're not going to teach you this because they've got to sell you the messianic bling and prepare you to go over to Jerusalem and get involved in the Bolshevik New World Temple. They're not going to tell you this. They've got to protect their ministry. They've got to protect their position and they're going to protect their reputation. Why? Yes, you took up the tent, you took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the mighty Raphaim, the star of David worship. And you made images to worship, and so I will carry you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed speaking to Moshe. The Levitical priests in the tabernacle in the wilderness couldn't even maintain the wilderness tabernacle without the syncretism to Molechian and Star of David worship. When they had that tabernacle in the wilderness, they were worshipping Molech with their animal sacrifices. And they were worshipping Rapham, which is where the Star of David comes from. Do your history on that. It's a Bolshevik star, of course, which then got put on the Russian flag. I mean, come on. What were they doing in the wilderness? And Yahweh calls them out. They had turned the tabernacle into a Molechian star of David, Rapham worship, and they were offering animal sacrifices to Molech. And if you're familiar with Molech, Molech was a big idol which had seven chambers. They would have a chamber for the drink offerings. They would have another chamber for the grain offerings. They would have another chamber for the lamb offerings. They would have another chamber for the goat offerings. And they would have a final seventh chamber where you would place your child as they heated up the molten image of Molech and burnt offerings and sacrifices in the tabernacle of Molech in the wilderness where they were worshipping Rapham which is the star of David the stars in the heavens their Levitical priesthood couldn't even maintain the tabernacle For 40 years, without syncretism into Molechian and Star of David worship. And I know many rabbinical commentators, they try and twist this to mean a a later portable Malachian tabernacle. But scripture records no such thing. Here, the context is immediately after the golden calf and the subsequent 40 years in the wilderness prior to Joshua bringing them into the land, verse 45. Can you see that context? Am I making this context up? Please tell me if you see that I'm making the context up. Is this talking about a later, hundreds or thousands of years later, portable Molechian tabernacle? Is it? Or is it in the context of the wilderness, the golden calf, and then verse 45, Joshua leads them into the land later? Is that the context? And does it say that they had turned the tabernacle into the worship of Molech and the star of Rapham? Do your work. The star of Rapham is the star of David, the symbol of the Bolshevik revolution, which is now, of course, we've changed the name of, to our, from Al-Qaeda to ISIS. We've changed the name of the Bolsheviks to The state of Israel. Can we be real? I mean, my goodness, it's a biggest setup that is coming fast and it's coming strong. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. If you grasp what I'm saying today and what is going on in the world, it is terrifying. Isaiah 57 verse 7. Isaiah 66 verse 1 go on to tell you how dreadful Yahuwah thought of their sacrifices. As if they slew a man. Killeth an ox as if they slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut a dog's neck. And he who offered an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. You see, with the backdrop to the Qumran Zaddaqites, who were no doubt in the audience of our writer, they believed in a permanent form of redemption without the need for animal sacrifices. I personally believe that too. I believe that we have a permanent form of redemption without the need of animal sacrifices. I believe that. And I believe that permanent form of redemption sits at the right hand of Yahweh, interceding for you and I today. And that gives me the hope of resurrection and transfiguration when I can stand by the deathbed of the dying. And I've done that too many times, and it troubles me and it upsets me. And I've done too many funerals. And it troubles me and it upsets me. But the reason that I can stand here in the midst of all of that is because of the hope that is in me. And it is not in the hope of the New World Order Bolshevik animal sacrifices that never, ever could affect the ones who offered it. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, in 1QS 94. It is written, listen, when these become members of the community in Israel according to all these rules, they shall establish the spirit of holiness according to everlasting truth. They shall atone for guilty rebellion and for sins of unfaithfulness. And they may obtain loving kindness for the land without the flesh of holocausts And the fat of sacrifice. Dead Sea Scrolls 1QS 9.4. They shall atone for guilty rebellion and for the sins of unfaithfulness, that they may obtain loving kindness for the land without the flesh of holocausts and the fat. Of sacrifice. And there's a word. There's a word that's got hijacked. Holocausts. Oh, you don't want to go there. You can't afford to go there as a minister. I mean, your reputation. Go and talk to me about the 10 million Ukrainians that died in the Holocaust. The Bolshevik Jews sent 10 million Ukrainians to death. The Jews, the Bolshevik Jews murdered 10 million Ukrainians. How come you don't hear about that Holocaust? How about from 1945 to 1946? Three million German civilians were murdered by the Allied forces in 51 concentration camps with the biggest migration of civilian population ever in the history of the world from East Prussia and the Sudanland as the Stalin's Red Army Bolsheviks came in and murdered three million German civilians from 1945 to 1946. These are in congressional records. How come we don't hear about that Holocaust? If you went to Berlin between 1945 at the close of the war and 1946, congressional records record that there were thousands of Germans naked hanging from the trees around Berlin. That the Bolsheviks strung up. That the rivers were full of thousands of civilian Germans that were getting flooded into the seas from 45 to 46. Because as the Bolshevik Red Army came in, that was the biggest mass forced expulsion of a civilian population ever in the history of the world. As those in the what used to be called the Sudanland, East Prussia, were then moved into the Soviet Red Army territory. You see, this word Holocaust" has been hijacked. You speak to the Ukrainians about that. But you can't even speak about this because people aren't taught their history. And it's all a big setup for the animal sacrifices and slaughters that are going to be happening in this generation. Thirteen European countries were betrayed by their allies. Thirteen European countries were betrayed by their allies to the Bolshevik Red Army. You realize that? Thirteen European countries. You see, famine was a deliberate policy of genocide that was used by Stalin and Winston Churchill. That's what history records. If you dig deep enough, you won't find that in high school or your liberal colleges. This was the largest land swap and forced migration of civilian population in history between 1945 and 1946. Ten million Germans were uprooted from eastern Prussia and the Sudan land by their new Bolshevik, Czech, Polish, and Russian masters. And what they failed to do 70 years ago in doing that is what they are doing right now. Instead of using the Red Army, they are using who? ISIS. And Angela Merkel is orchestrating it all with the other leaders in Europe, what they fail to do. And if you can't grasp that, if you think this is just something that's happening in Europe and it is not all part of the structured part of history, then you are going to be so deceived. When they start rolling out the tanks and erecting barbed wire around your football stadiums and FEMA start showing up with band-aids, hospital beds, and vaccinations for you and food. You'll go trotting off to those little stadiums and you will never come out. This is what they're preparing for. Because what they failed to do 70 years ago, they are now in full swing and successfully doing using ISIS and the mass migration from Syria and those regions. And they could never have done it without what they did 70 years ago and the formation of the European Union, where sovereign nations no longer have the right Legally, because they signed the pacts, They have to take these migrants. Every nation has to take their quota. This is absolutely... We are at the pinnacle. And this all connects to animal sacrifices up on the Temple Mount and Yahuwah's people being deceived by... Rabbis, Messianic, Judaism, and Christian Zionists that will lead you to the slaughter because they've bought into that the state of Israel is biblical Israel when really Bolshevism just switched its name. But it's still the same bankers, it's still the same politicians that use the slave masters of Stalin, Winston Churchill, and Roosevelt to accomplish their goal. Hebrews 13 verse 10. For we have an altar from which those who serve in the temple have no right to eat. Let's go forth outside the camp. Psalm 110 is an enthronement psalm and it's set in the Holy of Holies where a human king was believed to be able to become a transfigured Zedek through the ritual of the Holy of Holies. I want to read you from a damaged ancient Hebrew text of Psalm 110. Of course, this is not going to be the Masoretic text, because that's corrupted. We're going to look at the ancient Hebrew of Psalm 110. It says, In the glory of the holy ones... Angels, I have, I have begotten you. Now, the damaged Hebrew also mentions dew, D-E-W, as part of the process. Because dew is what? Dew is a symbol. Dew is a symbol of resurrection. Psalm 110, verse 3. From the womb comes dew. Who has that translation? From the womb comes D-E-W. I have a hard time pronouncing that. We would call it Jew, but then you'd even be more confused. Does, does it sound American when I say do? There's do on the ground. It's very, un, it's not normal for me to say that, but I've had to because I've had, in the past, I've said, the Jew is on the ground. What? The do? Sounds weird. Yes? In Enoch, it says, Do is where our blood comes from. You see, and the book of Enoch, we'll get into there, 2nd Enoch specifically. It talks about the secret. The secret is of the holy of holies. Not what they're going to construct, a tabernacle made of men, by men, but the secret of the holy of holies and the priesthood is the generation of the son in eternity is the Zedek high priest. The true high priest represented the incarnation. Now, if Judaism doesn't believe in the incarnation, right, then doesn't it make sense that they'd hide all aspects of it? If they don't believe in the incarnation then doesn't it make sense that they would hide all aspects of it especially in their corrupted priestly class it's no different with the name the true name we've got the yod the chay the Wa, the chay what does that mean well who cares right let's let's rip it out of the scriptures close to 7000 times Replace it with the title of a British landmaster or worse, replace it with Adonai or master. Because if you leave it in there and you've got the yod, the he, the wa, and the he, then what's it talking about? Hand behold, nail behold, right? That's what it means. The yod is the hand, the he is behold, the wa is the nail, and the he is behold. Hand behold, nail behold. Witness the nailed hand of Yah. I mean, it's right there in his name. Well, we've got to get rid of that, right? I mean, it's right there. Witness the nailed hand of Yah, removed close to 7,000 times by these Bolsheviks. Rabbinicals, Levitical hierarchy. In Second Enoch, Enoch the high priest, Michael the archangel, is summoned to remove Enoch's earthly clothes, his mortal body, and clothe him in garments of glory, garments of light, the resurrected body. That's our hope. That's what gives me the endurance to keep going. The high priest was understood to have undergone transfiguration and resurrection as a son of Elohim long before the apostles wrote in these terms to the writers, the audience in the book of Hebrews. Leviticus 16, verse 17. Vaicra 16, 17. Turn there with me, if you will. And there will be no man, and there will be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation. When? When when, when will there be no man? When he goeth in to make atonement in the holy place. Did you catch it? Leviticus 16 verse 17. And there will be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place. Until he come out. And have made an atonement for himself and for this, for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. You see, they broke the covenant. So, Yahuwah had to spell it out to them. And he said, well, you don't understand, obviously, the covenant. You don't understand fidelity. You're whoring around with this golden carp. Let's try and spell it out for you. I'm going to literally build you with stickle bricks a tabernacle. And instead of you being a kingdom of priests, you're going to be a kingdom with a priest. And he's going to demonstrate it. We're going to play roll it out. We're going to have to play roll it out for centuries and centuries. Because you don't understand what is going on in the heavenlies. That's not your reality because you're unfaithful. Because you're carnal. So now I'm going to try and demonstrate it to you in an earthly realm so that you can understand what's going on in the heavenly realm. But then they get into Malechian worship, Star of David worship, worshipping the hosts of the heavens, even in the tabernacle in the wilderness. But the high priest was supposed to communicate to them what was going on in the heavenlies and he was given an opportunity to do that once a year. Because he was supposed to be able to go into the tabernacle as a man. But then once he entered into the Kedosh HaKedoshim, He was what? Not a man. Until he came out of the Kedosh Ha Kedoshim, the Holy of Holies, and then he became a man again. So the Holy of Holies with all of the furniture in there and the electromagnetic furniture and the way of the vibrations with the Ark of the Covenant that the man would draw forth with his linen garments and he would what? be transfigured and his flesh would turn into garments of light but once a year. And he was supposed to then come out and witness to the people of the hope that is supposed to be in you and I. But hang on a minute. They're starting to get a lot of traction with this animal sacrifice stuff. They can control the people. They can turn it into a money-making thing. And do you think then, by them not acting appropriately and righteously, that they were able to transfigure? No. And now you'll see that Enoch communicates what was supposed to happen, but what in reality had become so corrupted. Our author is communicating to his audience what the Holy of Holies was always supposed to be like. that wasn't realized in their lifetime. Philo, the Jewish historian, he understood this to mean he shall not be a man when he enters to make atonement. He shall not be a man. Judaism's ideas and understandings of the temple are gleaned from the second temple period. Zerubbabel's temple... Herod's temple, they do not come from the tabernacle like our authors. Notice our author uses the term tabernacle. He's referencing back to the tabernacle in the wilderness. He doesn't use the term temple because that had become so corrupted. Why? Because how can you get enlightenment? How can you get transfiguration in a temple that doesn't have the furniture for the dynamics to enable it to work? You have to have the furniture with the quantum physics available to bring in the transfiguration. If you've got a temple that doesn't have the furniture, are you going to enable to attain the transfiguration through quantum physics? No. So they had no concept of it by the time of the writer of the book of Hebrews. They had no concept because they didn't even have the right furniture. At the time of the second temple, there wasn't the furniture that enabled them to have the quantum physics transfiguration experience. We need to return to an area of where we can attain that quantum physics through prayer, fasting, supplication, because we are connecting back where? Into the heavenly realm. And he will literally transfigure our bodies. You see, the ancient Jerusalem kings, before the giving of the Torah, had been priests in a manner of Melchizedek. Melchizedek represented the older faith. And Yahushua espoused the faith of Abraham, the Melchizedek rites, which were rooted earlier than the Torah that was given at Sinai. And the Apostle Paul understood this in Romans 4. He says, Avraham Zadik, Avraham Zadik, Avraham Zadik. Before Avraham was, I was. Before Avraham, I was. You see, Yahushua constantly hearkened back to Avraham. Why? Because of the Avrahamic faith, which was a kingly righteousness. And it wasn't finally replaced until just before the first temple was destroyed. The Qumran community, they expected Malkit Zedek to appear Exactly when Yahushua began his public ministry. The onlookers at the crucifixion, they understood that Yahushua was the high priest. That he was transfigured. And that he would attain the eternal sonship through the Zedek. I want to read to you from the letter of Barnabas. It says this. The priests used to eat the holiest portion of the sacrificed goat raw and mixed with sour wine vinegar. I love your face right there. She's like, "Ah." (laughs) Julia Childs would never put up with that crap. (laughs) (laughs) But the first temple believers, they understood the high priest became one He became one with the blood he was offering inside the veil. He was both the high priest and the offering. That's what they understood. Can you see why Yahusha's sacrifice, high priesthood and resurrection were so easily embraced by the priesthood? You see that many in Acts 7, I believe it's Acts 6, sorry, they were leaving the priesthood and following the Melchizedek. Why? Because they had anticipated that this would happen, but it wasn't happening. And then they had the witness by the disciples and the believers that it was happened and it had happened through the transference of the Melchizedek. I want to read to you from the Masoretic text, Psalm 96, verse 10. Say among the nations, Yahuwah reigns. And of course, that's the yod He wah But an ancient synagogue in Iraq, and that's Babylon, depicts a king enthroned on a tree. Now, the early church father, Justin, he claimed that the Jews had removed from Psalm 96, verse 10, the words, Yahuwah Reigns from the tree. They removed it from Psalm 96 verse 10. Because that's pretty telling, isn't it? Why isn't it in there? The letter of Barnabas backs this up by saying, the royal kingdom of Yahushua was founded on a tree. And the church historian, Origen, records that the first century manuscripts read, Yahuwah reigns from the wood. Can you see the change? What does yours say in Psalm ninety six verse ten? Nobody's got that, right? But history records that Yahweh reigns from the tree, that Yahweh reigns from the wood. But they've just put that Yahweh reigns. And the Masorites have taken out that He reigns from the tree, that He reigns from the wood. The text in circulation at Yahusha's time was the Dead Sea Scrolls Isaiah 61. Your Elohim is Melchizedek. You see, so this was why it was so much easier for people to embrace the Melchizedek because there wasn't the rabbinical corruptions that are so afoot today. And that's why one of the leading Messianic teachers chucked out of the book of Hebrews. Because of the rabbinic corruptions through the Masoretic text, gone. And a whole slew of people with him. Then you bring in the Karites and you start getting them involved, who deny that Yahushua is the Messiah, and you've got another whole slew of people gone. It's a revolving door. Then you've got these people that grew up Pentecostal, and the next thing you know, they're sons of Levi, and then the next thing you know, they're sons of Aaron, and then you've got a whole slew of people following after that deception. And you've got people following after people that aren't telling you the truth, chasing genealogy. And this is the revolving door of the faith, and I've seen more people deny the Mashiach than I count to, can count in the past decade. And it all comes from these terrible, terrible, Teachings and instructions that are going out because people aren't willing to tell you about what's really going on over in the Middle East or in Europe for that point. In Luke 4 21, Yahushua quoted Psalm Isaiah 61. He would have been reading, of course, from the De- Dead Sea Scrolls Hebrew text, not the modern Masoretic text. The text he read. Breaks after the verse, your Elohim is Malkit Zedek. claimed to be the Malkit He claimed to be Elohim. He claimed to be divine. Yahushua and our author opposed what the second temple had become. They opposed what it had become. He prophesied its destruction in Mark 13.2. They identified themselves as the true temple and Yahushua as the true high priest. And in John two nine, it says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Yahushua, of course, was proclaiming the prophecy of Enoch, which was in wide circulation at that time. Let me finish up with Enoch chapter 90 verse 28. And I stood up to see till they folded up that house, talking of the temple, and carried off all the pillars and all the beams and all the ornaments of the house were at that same time folded up with it. And they carried it away and they laid it in a place in the south of the land. And I saw till the master of the sheep brought a new house greater and loftier than the first, and they set it up in the place of the first, which had been folded up. You see, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Book of Enoch show us that the first temple was a house that was folded up, and that Yahushua came and established a higher order, which will now reign, because he reigns from the tree. He reigns from the tree. And this is it. You see, the second temple was empty of so much of the furniture. There was no ark. There was no throne. There was no mercy seat. There was no menorah. So they couldn't attain the quantum physics needed for the transfiguration. So the witness of the transfiguration, it couldn't even happen in the Holy of Holies. It had to happen outside the gates up on a mountain. Did it not? Just like John the Immerser. He wasn't in the temple. And he was the legitimate Aaronic High Priest. But he had to be outside the gates in a desert. Proclaiming the truth. And that's where you and I find ourselves. That's where you and I find ourselves. We will not be in the main halls of the religious institutions. We will not find ourselves invited to the banquets and the feasts of the political elite. And we will not find ourselves invited to the conferences of the Levitical hierarchy and all of that nonsense. But that is the witness that you are on the narrow road that leads to life. You question everything and you do your diligence. And when they tell you it's up, it's most probably down. And when they tell you it's black, it's most probably white. And when they tell you Winston Churchill was a good man, he most probably was an evil tyrant and a dictator. And we won't mention the obvious conclusion because that you'll have to discover yourselves. John the Revelator is to be remembered as giving the high priestly vision and the one who wore the name on his forehead. You see, the name, the true name of Yahuwah is an extremely important part of the revelation because that enables us to access the heavenly vision and to keep us safe from the worldly deceptions and worldly entrapments. Yahusha was the true high priest who had taught the secrets to his followers. And Hebrews 9 verse 5 talks about the mystery of the Holy of Holies. Of these things... We cannot now speak in detail. But we have today. All that to say this, only a few verses I got into of chapter 10. But I had an extremely hard week, not even a smidgen of how hard my mother-in-law's and my wife's week. But what I got to witness was the hope that is in me truly comes down to the simplicity of the resurrection and transfiguration. And that that cannot be attained through animal sacrifices, but it has been obtained. If we can only grasp it, because he sits at the right hand on the throne on high. And that is what the author was communicating to his audience. So even though I went off and spoke about other things, I believe what the author wanted to communicate to his audience, I've been able to communicate to you. The Sue of the resurrection hope and transfiguration because of the position that Yahushua now sits in and enables us to positionally move into a place that you and I need to go because when this world starts to fold and crumble, as it will, because what they didn't succeed in doing 70 years ago With the Red Army, they are successfully implementing now in Europe and it is spilling over on our southern border and coming here. It's not going to be the Bolshevik temple system that you are to flutter and flock to, but it will literally be on your knees attaining the umbilical cord connection to the high priest in the heavens because you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and you have now that instant access as the Malkitsedic Order of Priests.
1: Amen. Questions, comments, anybody? Uh, Yes, we do have a few internet comments. Uh, They brought up the story, the Soviet story. I believe it's on YouTube. It has English subtitles and actually backs up everything you say. There's a gentleman or lady on here who also... Um, has friends in Latvia, Czech Republic, and a whole bunch of other places, and says they already see the signs. They're aware because they've gone through it and lived it. America has no idea. Oh, um, yeah. And another question, Two questions, and that is, one, uh, I think you spoke, and this might have been a, little, a, week, a week or two ago, but it says, when you speak of plundering the New World Order and paying the tithe, what about the work done for fellow believers... I don't think of that as plundering the new world order. I have a small home business and I've just started. Uh, My only client right now is a fellow believer. I would think I should tithe on those payments as well. Is this correct? That's the first question. Say that again. It was about the new world order, I guess, paying the tithe. And uh, they're just wondering if that is correct, if uh, they should tithe on those payments as well. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Well... um, Yeah, I understand the question. Should we just plunder from
0: the New World Order? What happens if we're doing business transactions from believers? Should we pay on the tithe of that? The system that we operate in, the economic fiat currency that we operate in, is a New World Order currency. It is a New World Order system. But as believers, we operate in that system because we are in the world, but not of the world. So yes, wherever it comes from, even if you do trans- transactions with believers, then yeah, you would still tithe on that because we got it from the Egyptian system,
1: if you will, until and, that collapses. And this, is, this is just a reiteration, but the, the second question is this. Um, Wouldn't we want to follow the health laws, the laws relating to treating one another as well as the dietary Sabbath and feast days? I would appreciate your clarification. The health laws... I think kosher. Now, ask me that one again. Okay. Um, yeah, They're clarifying that they know the temple and sacrificial system has changed. Correct. Um, so, um, so it seems that Yeshua's sacrifice took care of all that. However, wouldn't we want to follow the health laws and laws relating to how to treat one another as well as the dietary Sabbath and feast days? I would like... I would appreciate your clarification.
0: If we look from Genesis 1-1 all the way to um, Exodus 24-11, within that whole royal covenant Torah, which was the book of the covenant, you have got how to eat what is fit and proper. Noah knew the distinction between what was clean and unclean. Now, if you want to get more information about it, you can go into the book of the law and you'll find more information. Just leave the Levitical hierarchy behind. So yes, we should be having a healthy biblical diet of distinguishing between what is clean and what is unclean. We should also, as we see, that they abstained from their wives for three days before Moshe went up, on the, up the mount. So is immersion... And set apart living in holiness, part of the covenant code lifestyle? Yes. Does the Qumran community witness to multiple mikvahs and holy ritual living? Yes, definitely. Is it connected to all the Levitical hierarchy? No, it's not. Should we be keeping the Sabbath? Of course. This is all covenant royal Torah. Should we be keeping the royal feasts of Yahuwah? Yes, we should. This is all royal covenant Torah. But do we offer sacrifices? No, because we have a high priest and he is the final sin sacrifice. And any sacrifice that is to be given is a sacrifice of what? You are a living sacrifice. And if he wants us to do anything different, then we will wait until he tells us otherwise. But the whole of the new covenant clearly tells us that we are under our eternal high priest. He is the one that instructs us to be living sacrifices of the higher order. Now, somebody did ask me on Facebook, and I believe they were from somewhere in the south. And apparently, there's an infestation of hogs down in the south, and that they're on the road, and that um, it says, do not even touch the unclean. The question came on Facebook, and I didn't respond. I'm doing it now. Well, Should my husband, when there's a hog in the middle of the driveway, how do we remove the hog? If we touch it, you know, is that something we should do? Try and avoid it, but obviously, some of these... um, You're not going to eat the bloody hog. We're not in Hawaii. Um, But I would try and remove the hog, you know, preferably not touching it with a shovel just for hygiene's sake. But if you did touch the hog... Well then, you know, go and get yourself Mickford. Go and, uh, you know, wash up. And uh, you know, at that point, yes, would you be unclean, meaning ceremonially unclean? Yes, but you're not going up to the New World Order Temple, so it's kind of a non-issue. You know, personally, you know, if there's a raccoon in my driveway, I'd rather get my shovel than pick up its tail and woohoo. But, you know, that's just me. Last time I did have an experience with a raccoon, I shot him out of the tree with a shotgun in the middle of the night, and my wife came down screaming. And I did finish him off with a shovel.
1: (laughs) So, anyway, these are good questions. Uh, We do have one more from the Internet. just popped up. I want to know if the Melchizedek Priesthood and the Bride Company are the same entity... And if they are the first fruits, those that have been resurrected. I'm
0: having to
1: ask you to repeat every okay, question. No I think it has to sink it's, in today. I'm that's okay. I think it's the way they're asking it as well. Okay. Okay. So the Melchizedek priesthood um, and the bride are they the same entity? All right. Got it. And here. if they are the are the are they the first fruits um, that have been resurrected? The Melchizedek priesthood is the bride. Correct.
0: Yes, the Melchizedek priesthood is the bride. Are we the first fruits? I believe that we are the first fruits that will be transfigured and resurrected. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, because all of that was attainable at Exodus 19. That was what should have happened, Exodus 19 to 24:11, but it didn't. And then they went under the schoolmaster, the book of the law. And that's where they want to enslave you, under the book of the law and the Bolshevik New World Order with their temple and their priesthood. And you can see it, you know. I mean, we just had the academy wards. Look at the idol that they hand out. That's an Egyptian god. I mean, and, and, this, and this is the world that we live in. Go into these state and federal buildings. I mean, they're all marble and ornate with their idols. These are their churches that where they go to worship. But we, we have a different order, a different priesthood, and a higher plane to live by. And that is what's exciting. And I feel so blessed for the hope that is in me. Amen?